I think the younger generation has lived through enough and suffered enough under the choices of previous generations that if I can help prove a model out for them for the next Zuckerberg that is focusing on social good to come mm. about, I want to lay that groundwork for them. I wanted to say a big thank you to our sponsor, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading data specialist recruitment business. They are experts in recruitment strategy and delivery for analytics and data teams. They are the go-to recruitment business for all your data roles in Australia, and they can help both with permanent hires and short-term project-focused data resources. I've used Talent Insights in the past, and I've always found them fantastic to work with. Visit them at talentinsights.com.au. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Data Futurology. My name is Felipe Flores, and as you know, in Data Futurology, we aim to discuss the topics and challenges that are relevant to leaders in AI, data science, and analytics. And we do this by discussing with current executives and leaders from around the world around their perspectives and how they're approaching you know, the applications of AI or increasing the use of AI or looking into new areas where uh, AI can be brought as an innovation to a new industry or a, or a new market. So I hope that these conversations are useful and valuable and getting all these different perspectives from people all around the world. Before we kick off, I'll say a big thanks to our sponsor, Talent Insights. If you are looking for a job or looking to hire people, give them a call. They are excellent, excellent people. Show them some love wherever you can. And today we have a super, super exciting show for you. We got a super exciting guest. We're going to be talking about the type of work that AI should be doing, uh, where we should be applying AI for the good of society and how we can do that in a social entrepreneurship manner where it's a business that is profitable, that is good for society, and that brings what we all want AI to, to be. So... We have Chris Wexler on the show. He is the Chief Executive Officer from Krunam. He's going to tell us all about the business and the purpose, which I love. Chris, how are you doing today? Great. I'm excited to be here. It should be a fun conversation today. Nice. I am very, very excited. So maybe first off, tell us a little bit about the business and the purpose, and then we can go back and, and hear about how, how you got there. But tell us about the, the business that, that you have. Absolutely. Uh, Krunam uh, is uh, a company that is founded uh, specifically to fight the spread of child sexual abuse materials online. Um, we see Sam. Uh, it's actually pretty stunning how prevalent they are. It's over 60 million incidents were reported last year alone. And that's wow. with Europe largely shutting off all scanning uh, due to um, due to some regulatory issues mid-year in 2020. So wow. it's a really big problem and it's been growing consistently year over year and COVID only exacerbated the issue. Um, and it's a tough one to fight. Um, you know, when a typical search engine or a social media platform has billions of images going through it a day, it's really hard for humans to, to do this. And so, our classifier will actually identify and classify um, to speed content moderation. So, you know, it's designed to protect, of course, the kids. You know, we don't want to, you know, they're being reabused every time one of these images are shared, but also the brand reputation of that platform and the community health of that platform. Mm -hmm. um, and But I think the unsung heroes in making the internet a really more hospitable place than it is right now are content moderators. We have people all over the globe that are literally watching the worst of the worst and reading the worst of the worst online that are reported by you and I every day. And they have to determine whether or not they do something about it. It's a brutal job. Um, the people who do it are heroes, but many people only last, the typical sit in that um, job is about nine months and many people come out of it with PTSD. It's time for us to get AI in there to take some of, the, some of that um, not only the the work burden, but the emotional burden off of those workers. And so, you know, we're we're, we're about protecting people from this uh, this really negative part of uh, of internet of uh, the you know byproduct of in the internet being widely connected. It's an amazing thing that you and I are halfway around the world and talking about the future of data 
It's an amazing thing. But unfortunately, these exact same tools are being used by predators all over. And, you know, one of the things we saw as a kind of evolution coming out of, uh, coming out of COVID is uh, they, uh, organized crime realized that they could scale um, child sexual abuse into a more profitable business by using live streaming. And so they, they're selling shows on live streaming. This is something that, you know, we have to, it's unbelievably, you know, yeah. these poor kids that they're locked away and then somebody pays Bitcoin or, or goes through some payment system to pay for a live show. And so, unfortunately, organized crime, even though the, even they find this distasteful, they love high profit margins and things that scale. So, you know, on, on many levels, we just want to take, we want to, one of the ways we can protect the kids is by taking the profit margin out of this. And then we can fight the more intractable um, situations of just uh, people who are damaged, um, often by a cycle of abuse um, in consuming this content. And so it's a big problem. I like big problems. And, um, and frankly, the, 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 everything is pointing in one direction and that it helps companies, it helps employees, it helps, um, uh, it helps these uh, communities, but in the end, it really helps kids. And there's few problems in the world that isn't conflicting. Now, the one conflict obviously is privacy. And so, you know, that's something we can probably talk about later, but it's a, uh, it's a huge opportunity that can make the world a better place. So, how can you not want to do that? <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. And at what point did you decide to tackle this and to and to jump, you know, all in? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. I uh, I, I had uh, exited another startup uh, early, right before COVID, and uh, and I was looking kind of for the next challenge, and um, luckily it found me. Um, and so, the, this technology is not fresh out of the box, brand new, we made it up today. Mm. Uh, it, I'm, I'm personally standing on the shoulders of our technological partners uh, within the within the company. So uh, Just Biz, uh, uh, Purnam is a joint partnership between Just Business, which is a social incubator out of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, they've um, started a lot of amazing companies that are particularly um, benefiting uh, the world in fighting human trafficking, um, sometimes in ways you wouldn't expect. Uh, and then uh, Vigil AI, which is an amazing group of technologists out of the UK. And they had built this actually for law enforcement in the UK. Um, and it was to, to help investigators in the UK because what they, uh, one of our co-founders was a former investigator, 80% of his time was going through confiscated materials. Wow. 80%. Because when, uh, when you go and make an arrest and there's two terabytes of data, you have to go in and see what's there. And it's and it was a and so they'd spend hours and hours going through this. So not only is that grueling and not exactly fulfilling work, you only have twenty percent of the time left to actually investigate the crime. So only the easiest or the most um, vicious were being uh, being actually investigated. Technology here flips that script. Yeah. Because then we can have the, we can have we can have the classifier go in and do a lot of that work. You can quickly identify what's the worst perpetrators quickly identify where the problems are, if this is a problem, and then spend more time investigating. So much like properly applied AI takes the stuff humans are bad at, repetitive, psychologically grueling, low incidents in a, in a large data set. These are all things we're terrible at. Mm, yeah. And gives humans the things they're good at, which is pulling together all these crazy things that, um, you know, a, a police investigator, we're a long ways from AI being able to replace a police investigator because they understand human psychology and they understand local conditions and they understand uh, previous examples. Let humans do what humans do well and let AI do what AI does well. And that's really where we came about. Um, and what we realized uh, uh, earlier this year is that law enforcement is a critical spot of the, for this, but we started Crunom because we realized that every any company that holds third-party data really needs this mm. because... Yeah. Not only are, you, are, are people, you know, it's been in the news that MindGeek and Pornhub has been, been problematic where people are sharing there. It's kind of a logical spot. Mm. But more people are sharing this content on Facebook. And they've done a heroic job trying to cleanse their platform of this. Uh, but it's going through Google. It's going through Dropbox. It's going through Box. It's going through pretty much any messaging app, WeChat, um, WhatsApp. These are all channels 
that a small percentage of their their information flow is is supporting this horrible thing we can go in and come and clean that out and and keep those because the other terrible thing is the way they find out is somebody like you or me come uh, is going through and all of a sudden you run into it and you flag it but that's not good that's not a good user experience yeah. either so uh, bringing this this out and you know there's existing technology right now it's it's um, antiquated I think is the best way to put it it's a great piece of software that Microsoft built back in 2008 but we're about we, we, we estimate about a 10x improvement in identifying CSAM because we're using computer vision we're using uh, deep neural network to train the algorithm um, and we're all doing it in a privacy safe way and so you know, when you can pull all those things together, it solves a lot of problems for a lot of tech companies that they want to go focus on their day-to-day -day and not this. And so let's solve this problem for them. Man, that is, uh, that is amazing. <laughs> that is amazing um, to be so proactive and, um, and well, diligent in, in applying AI somewhere where it can make such a positive um, impact in the world. That's, that's fantastic. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how the, how the process works um, and, and a little bit about the, the, the AI side? Um, tell us about that, that side of the, of the business. I can confidently say this is the most unique training regimen and approach that pretty much anyone's going to ever have to do. Because typically what you do is you take this giant data set, obviously, and you go and and uh, and and apply your various uh, machine learning and AI deep neural networks. Um, our data is illegal; we can't hold it. And so, literally, our engineers drag their kits into a Faraday cage at the home office. And the uh, the UK government had amazing foresight uh, to start collecting this data and putting it into a, a very secure database. Uh, back in 2013. And so we're, we're really standing on the, sh the shoulders of not only those decision makers, but uh, law enforcement that is triple vote verifying everything going into the database. So wow. different, different law enforcement officers in different jurisdictions run into the same content. Three different votes, it gets in, then, it gets, then we can train on it. But even then, we're, we can't even look at the data. So we're back to back with a, with a law enforcement officer who's giving us guidance on uh, what they're seeing. And so it's truly a, like a lot of technology, it's, it's a, a growth out of a great public-private partnership. And so it, great, it, it created a great technology for the UK Home Office. Um, and now they're, they're as excited for us to bring it out into the world as they were to get it. Um, because this is going to fundamentally change the safety profile for kids online, particularly those who have been abused in the past. And so, uh, so but yeah, so we're, we're literally... Uh, uh, you know, we're, we're using kind of the best-in-class computer vision, um, and we're using deep neural networks to try to um, find patterns. You know, mm -hmm. computer vision and AI—it's been problematic with facial recognition. It's been yeah. millions and millions of faces, yes. errors, particularly with people of color. Um, the provenance of the data often is pretty sketchy. Um, and so, you know, you know that that's a problem, and that's a fairly straightforward one. Mm. It's really good at that's a dog, that's a pig, that's a horse. Like those are different, right? Um, we are we were when we went into the lab for the first time when Scott and uh, Scott and team or CTO Scott Page went into the lab for the first time. We were trying to understand if if it was even possible for these techniques to understand inference of behavior based on body position, based on relative body size, mm -hmm. based on um, based on amount of skin showing, like all these different things. Um, and making sure that it's not just going, because a lot of these things happen in hotel rooms, that it's not just identifying, you know, the Marriott that is, you know, the, uh, du jour, that it's just going, oh, you're in a hotel room, it's a bad thing. So making sure it's not also flagging the wrong things. Yeah. Um, and it was a real eureka moment when they found that it was at a high enough confidence at, at the first step that we knew we could refine it to the point where it was a working model. Mm -hmm. um, and then by building this classifier also, it takes the pressure of, what do we do with this data? Because then anybody who's using our classifier can keep it highly secure within their own servers. They're not sending it to us. They're not sending it to anybody else, but they're able to process it on their own, on their own hardware. And that's really critical in a privacy setting. And so, you know, we're, we're building a privacy safe 
AI, deep neural network, computer vision. I'm just glad our CTO is a heck of a lot smarter than I am uh, as he pulled the, as, as he and the team pulled this together because uh, it, it's really taking some of the cutting edge, bleeding edge work that they've been doing in intelligence and defense proof of concept work. That's really what they, where their background is. And, yeah. they, and they on their own took the initiative to go, even though nobody's asking for this, the world needs this technology. And you know, talk about proactivity. That's you know, kind of at the core of who we are as a company. Our our name is a bit unique. It's um, we're actually named after a woman in Thailand in Krunam, two words. Um, and she is a street artist, and she was a street artist in Chiang Mai, and uh, doing very well. Um, had a really good life. And she decided to do a project with the street kids going, hey, paint your life. I'm going to show you techniques and I can see what you paint. And she was absolutely shocked by what they painted. Because what they showed is that the uh, many of the karaoke bars in, in Chiang Mai were actually fronts for child prostitution. And so unlike 99.9% uh, .9 of people in the world, myself included, she just walked into the karaoke bars and started pulling kids out. Yeah. After 20 kids were in her apartment, the traffickers came and said, if you do that again, we're going to kill you. So she skedaddled and went up to uh, northern Thailand. And now, it, over the last 20 years, has evolved her, her approaches, um, her, her techniques, and she saved thousands of kids. One of the first kids she saved is the first non-state graduate of university in Thailand. Um, she's changed the lives of thousands of kids. So, you know, built on that proactivity and evolution of tactics and always trying to take it bigger. We, we really view it, our job as taking what she's doing IRL and bringing it to the URL mm -hmm. and taking that, that proactivity and that spirit of, well, now that I know I have to do something yeah. um, to, to the world. And so that's, that's why, you know, the team has come together and, you know, that's very much the spirit that Scott and team, when they built the technology pro bono initially, um, that was the spirit there. So it's, you know, like-minded individuals trying to solve big problems. And, you know, AI obviously is the core of what we do, but um, we're not an AI company, mm. you know, just like a, somebody who builds a house, we're not a hammer, you're not a hammer company, you're, you're building housing. And so we're, we're really in the digital protection space. We want to protect people from harms online and CSAM is the first really critical one we're attacking. But you know, we see that expanding as we go because the next phase of the internet is gonna be how do we refine um, social interaction and build safeguards from harmful speech online? Because we know it's there, it's in radicalization, it's in blackmail, it's in um, bullying. And you know, the, we don't want an internet where the loudest and most brutish voices are the only ones we hear. That's not a healthy community. And as you know, here we are talking across the globe we need to have great conversations and you and, and unlocking the true power of the internet will start now be harnessing kind of human behavior in a way to make a functional society that works in the, in this medium. And that's going to take uh, a combination of empathy and engineering to do that right. And so, you know, like I said, um, maybe I'm tilting at windmills like Don Quixote, but we want to, we want to add that layer to the internet. We think it's the next phase. Oh man, it is a necessary next phase. Um, that is that is fantastic, and I love the story of Krunam. Um, that that oh man, that warm, warms my heart to have people like that and so so committed and and uh, and obviously you guys taking taking that to to another to another level with implementing the technology and having that in in the internet is it's definitely what what we need. Um, yeah. That's amazing, man. I love that. I love hearing that. Um, tell me, tell me a little bit about the uh, the privacy the privacy side um, of this. So you were saying how essentially the 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 models get deployed in the um, within the organizations that uh, that are looking for this type of material. Um, but overall, how how does the the privacy side work? Well, a we're not identifying individuals; we're identifying behaviors. So that's I think a critical a critical understanding. We're also not flowing that data anywhere, and so it's um, it, it gets processed, and you get a probability you get a probabilistic response um, in six or seven, soon to be seven different classes 
of um, material from benign to the most egregious. Um, and so that that then then we work with the uh, the our partners to work on governance in that scenario um, to go okay so if we know it's ninety nine point nine percent likely what do you do with it if you know it's seventy percent likely what's the sampling rate that you want to look at if it's fifty percent what human is going to look at that because it's the same you know it struggles with the same things we all struggle with some people some twenty five year olds look fifteen and some fifteen year olds look twenty five yeah. and so. Um, no system is perfect. And so you need that hybrid governance approach mm -hmm. uh, to, to do this right. But if you're looking at borderline elements versus the worst of the worst, that's a much better situation for a content moderator or a content moderation team. And you're getting through, you know, you're getting through data 10 times faster and you can do it proactively versus reactively. And so um, that, am I answering your question? I realize I'm just, I'm, I, I may have gone on a tangent there, but um, you know, it's, and, and we by and large are on premise. Um, so that keeping that, and again, this data has to be firewalled off because it's illegal data in the production of it as well. We, we really ensured, you know, it helped probably sharpen our resolve that our, you know, our first customer was the UK government that actually started GDPR. So, um, it's it's um, absolutely GDPR compliant. We you know it's it's legally obtained, licensed um, CSAM data. We have uh, the largest cache of legally licensed adult data to train on, and we have hand curated a large benign data set to help with false positives. Because if it's kicking back a bunch of kids uh, on playgrounds, that's not helpful to anybody. Um, yeah. And and you know and so. Uh, all of that is uh, is properly licensed and properly obtained, and you know that's I think I think that's one of the dirty little secrets of AI and big data these days, is that um, as smart as the engineers are in processing the data, a lot of the data sets are actually really dirty and really yeah. really messy. Um, and you know I remember back you know when, when I when I was learning uh, C plus uh, plus in the eighties. I learned the phrase garbage in, garbage out. Um, and I think we have a garbage problem in AI because the data is usually pretty pretty awful. Um, the I, I do think we'll eventually come to a, an understanding that the hoovering of all data and then hoping mm -hmm. to organize it after the fact probably isn't the most efficient way. Now, we obviously have a narrow, a very narrow, uh, a narrow outcome in our AI. We're not going for general AI intelligence or anything like that. We're we're creating specific tasks. And so maybe for generalized AI, you need to have the big messy data set. But, um, you know, I've worked in data for 20 years and probably if you, if, you know, if you count Lotus one, two, three in Excel, 30 years, um, it's, we all know anybody who's worked in data that you spend most of your time getting your data clean. Mm -hmm. And we, and we haven't done that in AI. Um, we haven't done that with a lot of the generalized AI applications. We, we've gotten, and a lot of it, you know, it's magical. It's close enough for yeah. a lot of the for a lot of the commercial elements. But when you get to really fine tune, and you know, frankly, determining legal versus illegal mm. behavior, you better be really careful about that because you're making really strong declarations about people, um, and we don't, you know, so we we have at our very core um, absolute privacy because that's, you know, the the survivors of this abuse uh, demand it and frankly, our customers demand it. Yeah, man, it is, it is great. And and um, I, I love this. I love this application. I love the way you guys are going about it. Um, yeah, definitely the privacy privacy side is great. The the focus on on the data, I think I agree with you. It's something that that we need more of. And I've definitely seen um, a bit of a shift in the industry recently from from sole focus on improving the algorithm and and tuning the hyperparameters, moving from only focusing on that to to a much greater focus on the data quality and improving data and what that can do and then um so uh, you guys you guys are definitely on it um already that's fantastic and 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 being able to work with 
with organizations that are doing this day in, day out um, and can provide that, that um, high quality data um, about what, what you don't want and then couple that with, with uh, um, the data set that you guys are building to identify false positives. That's, that is awesome, man. That is awesome. Um, tell us a bit about the, the journey of, of uh, turning this into, into a, a business and your approach to, to the business side and how that, that journey has been. Yeah, it, you know, moving from uh, building for a government, which is obviously a very different approach, to uh, bringing it forward to uh, uh, private industry, uh, I think the biggest the biggest issue, and I think a lot of a lot of particularly data oriented um, elements have, are you have so many different doors to enter our organization, and that's helpful in sales. But for us, we have so many different ways that we can actually um, impact an organization, and so. There's like the, the front door might be tr the trust and safety operations. And all of those are relatively new in these organizations. Like they were cybersecurity, but now they're moving to community safety. Like this is a nascent area in a lot of these organizations. And the people there are doing amazing work. Um, there's the engineering side and the AI side. You talk to the engineers. Uh, I found that often doesn't work because um, they like to, they, they, they like to homebrew. Um, and I don't blame yeah. them. That's what they do. Um, and so a plugin is often like, well, I could do that. Well, no, you don't have the data. And, you know, we, we've thought through, you know, and, and we're experts in the actual, uh, the actual crime and, and impact of the, of the crime. Um, and then, but then there's PR, there's mm. investor relations, because this is critical in the kind of the emerge, you know, 40% of investors are, are factoring in environmental, social, and governance into their, um, investing decisions. So all of a sudden investor relations becomes a critical spot because this is, if if you're a platform that is monetizing third-party data and you're not clearing it of CSAM, that's a major governance issue and that's a major social impact issue for you. And so, uh, and so all of a sudden we're talking, you know, we're talking to investment firms. Like that was not something, I, and now my cat's saying hello. But, um, uh, but, uh, and so, and then there's C-suite and boards because they're thinking heavily about how to uh, how to do this right uh, for them long term. And what and 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 there you're talking more. How do I manage risk? Um, because the, because uh, if you're a major player in in, uh, in holding third party data and you're on the front page of the New York Times or the Guardian mm -hmm. or fill in the blank, uh, where you have uh, a major problem with uh, CSAM. That's gonna hurt your your, uh, your your stock price. That's gonna hurt you, and that's gonna and so um, so there's a lot of um, you know when we think about pricing and thinking about it, it's almost when we think about it, it's more like a insurance. Yeah, uh, we're pricing it more like insurance than SaaS, um, even though it's like a SaaS model. Mm. It's really an insurance policy people are buying, but it's it's one that isn't just protecting you if something goes wrong, but it's actually protecting you. So it's kind of a two step on that level. Man, that is that is excellent. Um, and and how um, how has it been um, creating a a social enterprise and, and going to market um, in this in this space? Well, you know, it, it's interesting because this space is actually dominated by nonprofits because mm. there, there are a lot of people. You know, you have um, Thorn that's out of California. Um, you have other um, kind of nonprofit focused because that's people who have been motivated to do this. Um, as a result, but the reason we decided to be, um, be kind of straddle that between a public benefit corporation is because this is a problem that has scale. The only way we're going to be able to scale to that problem is by accessing capital markets. Yeah. And, um, and so, you need to use the right tool to solve the problem. Just like if you you want to apply the right the right model, the right uh, data transformation, you need to do the same in your structure of your business. And since we're dealing with a global problem, we're dealing with something that is in the trillions of interactions in a day. That's something that you know it's not going to work. Um, you know, uh, with uh, you know, uh, on the back of donations, to be honest. And so. Um, 
it was a critical, you know, it was a critical element to us as we were kind of starting from where we wanted to, where we want the world to be in 10 years. What did the business need to be? And then what did the, literally the structure need to be? And we needed, we needed that um, hybrid. And, you know, and on top of that, um, the great thing is Just Business, which is um, one half of our joint venture. They've been doing this for 15, 20 years. You know, they've done it, for, they've uh, did it with, they started a, a natural drink company, one of the fastest growing, in fact, the fastest growing natural drink company in the history of the U.S. called Rebel, R-E-B-B-L, Roots, Extracts, Berries, Barks, and Leaves. Wow. Um, uh, and they did it not because they wanted to sell drinks to um, rich white people in America, but because they uh, realized that when they were in Lima, Peru, that so many of the kids that were being trafficked or um, were coming from a very specific part of the Amazon, uh, uh, the Northern Amazon. Mm -hmm. And what they did is they went and created a roots, extracts, berry, bark and leaf extraction company, get, set it up and created it and gave it to the, the natives there so that they had economic opportunity. As a result, 10 years later, um, not only is the, the company about to exit uh, very profitably, but uh, trafficking out of that region of the Amazon is down 70%. And so it's looking for wow. systemic change um, is what they've been doing for 15 years. So th this is the first one we're doing in the technology space. But um, to be honest, having um, being a straddling the two, being able to access capital markets, but still have that social cause, um, <laughs> it allows us to have the power, but also the authority. Uh, the power of capital markets and the authority, the moral authority to do this. Um, and so, and it, you know, cause theoretically we're sitting on a piece of technology that uh, is a 10 X improvement. Mm. If we were strict capitalists as most Americans are, you know, then you're like how many millions do you want to pay? But that's counter to part of our, uh, part of our, uh, uh, charge too, because we want to make sure that this technology is used widely. So we don't do metering. So like mm -hmm. if you have a license, you can scan as many images, as many videos <laughs> as you want. We can do videos as well um, because we don't want anything in the way of you actually using this technology because it's it, the impact of it, it all is blunted dramatically if you're going, well, I'll check once every 10 images. Well, that's not, you know, we want you to check every one and not have the 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 financial structure get in the way of that. So, mm. so we, you know, it, it it's it's like a perfect spot for this product. Um, and uh, frankly, it's really helpful because it's what I've wanted to do for a long time is bring those two together. Because I think it's a false dichotomy of nonprofit and for profit um, that was really put in together. You know, it's it's a relatively new thing that's driven by tax law in the United States. Like that's a if there's a dumb reason to make a choice, um, tax law in the United States is probably the number one dumb reason to make a choice. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. No, but that man, that sounds that sounds incredible. And how how was how was your journey into getting to this to this point? Um, yeah, can you tell us a bit about, about your your background? Yeah, uh, compared to Kurnam, I am glacial. Uh, she she acted immediately, and I took twenty years. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, just, you know, just, I'll be honest. Uh, you know, I, I have a really unique background in that um, I was on, uh, I was on Capitol Hill or on, on Capitol Hill very briefly when I was like very young, yeah. uh, disillusioned, went to Wall Street because um, that's what disillusioned people do. But I was an equity and bond, a global equity and bond analyst. So I was following mm -hmm. Southeast Asia and Eastern Europe in the early in the mid 90s. Wow. Um, I was the one guy who knew what a computer was, so they put me on the internet beat for the first internet bubble inflation. Didn't yeah. make any sense to me. I remember sitting across the table from, I think it was the CEO of Furniture.com, and he said, we're only losing 5% per transaction. I went, ooh, what are you going to do about that? And he goes, volume. And you know, <laughs> that, that describes why the internet bubble popped the first time around. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so I, I was there on trying to discern what their business models were, how the technology worked. Um, didn't make sense to me at the time. I mean, I understood it, but it didn't. I didn't see the business models. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I quit cold turkey because I had the aptitude, but not the attitude. It just they weren't my people. Like that just wasn't where I belonged. Yeah. Um, and uh, I produced theater for a year, um, but I like to pay my nice. mortgage and uh, and do that. But. Um, 
And so I ended up uh, coming into marketing at just the time when uh, you started to actually have to market online yeah. um, and you had to pay for it. And so they were, uh, it, it just, I was at the right place at the right time. And so um, really at the very nascent, one of the first um, customers of Google, one of the first customers of Facebook, one of the, you know, I was always, I had, um, I was working with major brands, Harley Davidson, um, Chipotle, a big restaurant chain in the United States, General Mills, a big consumer packaged goods company in the United States, um, airlines, all these amazing brands. Um, but I was with a slightly smaller firm. So I, my secret sauce was to do it first and do it a little better before the big boys could, you know, throw a lot of money at it and figure it out. Um, and so I was always an early mover. And so then it was, okay, we better get on top of the data of actually understanding what our marketing is doing. So established data and analytics practices at uh, multiple agencies, uh, you know, uh, McCann and uh, Kramer Crassel, some major agencies in the United States. Um, and uh, because I saw that we had the data to make better decisions. It was intellectually challenging. It was, it was a pleasure to, to, to have a, a data problem that had a creative side to it. So yeah. like, you know, what's the creative messaging, like the intellectual stimulation and the people in the, in the industry are, are just a joy. They're, they're, they're fun to work with. Um, but in the end, I'm like, I really want to just, you know, sell another garbage bag to a middle-aged woman. Is that really what I want to do? Um, and so uh, I was, even while I was doing all that, my brother started an anti-human trafficking organization. And so wow. you know, my sister, in fact, she's in Honduras right now. She and her husband were doing uh, medical support work in Haiti and, and uh, Honduras. Wow. Um, I'd come home and go, yeah, I sold middle-aged men, uh, Harley Davidson's. Yeah, I was the black sheep as the ad executive. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so when the opportunity came to get pulled into my brother's ecosystem, which is the, he, yeah. he's one of the founders of Just Business, and it fit so perfectly with my background, yeah. it was like, this is a no-brainer. This has to be something I do and bring something that I've been consulting with him on. And uh, like when he brought in a business, I'm like, okay, here's what I think of this. You know, I, I was doing consulting and, and, uh, and other work with them. But turning it into a full-time thing was just a no-brainer, particularly when you see the impact that we could have here. What What do you think um, made your your family, like your siblings, to to have this giving nature with their with their careers? Well, I mean, I have to point to my parents. They're both in public health, which another application of data, like. We talk about data like it's a new thing. Public health is the ultimate use case for data. Um, the public health workers have distinguished, you know, the reason that coronavirus was so shocking to us as a culture is because our public health workers have been so amazing yeah. 100 years, 50 years before. It used to be normal to have a pandemic every 10 years. Mm -hmm. It used to be normal to ha lose a large portion of our vulnerable to illness but public health workers took data to take care of that. So both my parents were really active, you know, that that's where they were. And so, and they, they chose to stay in Minneapolis. I mean, when I literally went to high school six blocks from where George Floyd was killed. And so yeah. um, they chose to be in Minneapolis, even though they had the wherewithal not to be in Minneapolis and uh, because they wanted to support the city. And so I have to, you know, but, uh, I have to say that, you know, their their faith, they grew up in the Christian tradition, their faith and focus on empathy and love is what really drove this. And so you can see if you had empathy and love driven into you, why, um, you know, selling Volkswagens probably wasn't what was going to fulfill me long term. <laughs> I, mean, I, I love my Volkswagen. I love my Volkswagen. Of course. <laughs> of course. Exactly. Oh, man. But I can... Yeah, I completely understand. Like I, I spent about five or six years in in finance, um, working as as head of data science in in banks and in financial institutions, and 
Um, I often say that 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 job, while it was you know interesting, it was using machine learning to sell money. And it was literally just <laughs> creating you know uh, ads and and methods that literally said, "Do you want money? Would you like more money? How much money can would you like?" Um, and I ended up moving to yeah. to healthcare, like yeah. and. Uh, and now I'm much, much closer to, to public health um, and, yeah. and doing a lot of work using AI to keep people healthier uh, to, and, and to, to make, uh, make people healthier and keep them healthy. Uh, so that's, that's great. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, I, I think you're, you're seeing a lot more people make that evolution in their careers, either people that were established. But I think what's most exciting is when I talk to uh, kids at colleges or people early in their career, they're wanting to start it right now. Yes, um, and um, and so it, you know, th that's another kind of back, uh, you know, backwards looking, um, and uh, motivation for me is, hey, we this generation needs to prove the model of public benefit corporations yeah. because it shouldn't be a choice between doing well and um, making economic choices that hurt you. And, uh, and we want the smartest and the brightest solving problems. I think part of the, the problem we've had in, uh, in kind of the, the way we've structured the economy since the 1980s, particularly here in the US, and you know, once it happens here, we unfortunately export it, um, yeah. is we focus so much on putting the best and the brightest all about value extraction and, and generating money versus solving problems. And so I think the younger generation has lived through enough and suffered enough under the choices of previous generations that if I can help prove a model out for them for the next Zuckerberg that is focusing on social good to come mm. about, I want to lay that groundwork for them. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yes. And um, are there are there any um, any people that that you look up to um, or take inspiration from on that side on the on the um, mixing the social the social good and and business well you know it's interesting um it's 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 a it's such a evolving and moving spot uh, moving target um you know because i think sometimes you you know often you know the the term greenwashing was a big thing where you know companies would go oh yeah we're super environmental and you know they, they print a bunch of posters and not do anything else and actually net negative um but you know, I think I think the most interesting thing and the most encouraging thing that I that happened in the last ten years in this space was when um, the uh, the Council of Economic uh, I'm trying to remember the exact name of it. Anyway, it's a council of the fifty top hundred top CEOs in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And uh, two years ago, they um, said uh, it's our job for the first time. They said. It's our, we, we need to have our company's goals not just be making money, but also the impact on society and the impact on the environment. Um, when you see that in the C-suite of the least progressive, the least woke uh, cohort in, in the world, um, that, and so I, I, that makes me encouraged. And when, when I think about that, you know, th these are not people that I would structure my career after, but, you know, I remember seeing a study that uh, talked about the environmental impact of the Prius. Important, yeah. powerful car, right? But if they had put that exact same hybrid engine in the giant pickup trucks that we love here in the United States, mm -hmm. it would have had 10 times the, the environmental impact. Wow. Um, and the car still would have been powerful, still would have been great, but it would have moved mileage from 14 miles an hour to 19 miles an hour, and nobody got excited by that. But there were so many more of them and so much, such a bigger scale. So I get most excited when I see opportunities for incremental change at scale, because mm. that's when amazing things happen. But you know, th there, are, you know um, there are people doing this all over the globe. Um, you know, the, I think the financial industry in Europe has been on the forefront of pushing ESG to the top of agendas across the globe. That's critical. Um, I think the environmental movement has been critical in adjusting how things go. And so, you know, when I look for inspiration, I'm, you know, I'm as excited by a small business down the road as I am by a Fortune 500 CEO. So, that's talk, yeah. 
Oh man, yeah, that is that is excellent. Um, in in Australia, we have a few uh, well known brands that um, that dedicate part of their profits to to help causes um and and some of them uh we have one which is which is uh thank you and the brand is called thank you now they do like soaps and nappies like diapers and water and everything and you can track who the help is is going to so they give you like codes to you can track on the on the website um we've got a, a company called um who gives a crap which i thought was a great it great name i love and, it um, they deliver toilet paper to your house and and then uh, provide sanitation um, um um so money for sanitation in in the developing world um mm. and then there, there's companies like zambrero which is like buy buy a dish and get and, and you give a a dish to to uh, so this is about food uh, buy a dish and, and somebody in need gets gets a dish um and yeah, so it's, it's, it's great to, to see, to see those initiatives. And I think, um, I'm excited about what, what other types of innovation we can, uh, we can do as a society with that, with that model. Um, because I, yeah, I do, I do really like the, the model that you guys. Have yeah. I, I, yeah. I think, you know, a lot of the kind of buy and give models was a great mm. first step for companies. Yes. Um, and, but what's interesting is when you know, go back and look at like the actual impact of that, like it didn't actually drive sales. Uh, what it did was a drive, it made it easier to recruit and, yeah. and, and you know, it made it drove internal metrics, which are pretty critical. Um, what I, I mean, and then you have bolt ons, which, you know, for somebody like doing like a, a thank you, that's a brilliant way to build something in that's, that's a low margin product that it's really hard to build in at the core what it is because you're competing in the, in the micro pennies when you're really you know doing that and yeah. so i love that they you know they, they found the way to do that that's really interesting i think my biggest inspiration now that now that you you kind of went through some of those is a is of all things a burrito restaurant here in the united <laughs> states called uh -huh. um when i was lucky enough to work with them back in 2008 or 2009 i think they were known for giant burritos because we're Americans. We love giant food, um, giant burritos um, that were very tasty, but that you didn't really understand. And what we did when we came in to kind of help them with their marketing was we realized, oh, you're using non-GMO, which was not done in the U.S. Mm. You're using local, you're using sustainable. Mm. And they were doing it not necessarily wow. for the environment. They were doing it because they were a chef-led organization and the chef wow. like, that tastes that tastes better. So we're gonna do that. Um, and so what I saw, and then so what we our our job was to change, and it was like, what? We didn't have a huge budget. We had to change, we wanted to change food culture in the United States to talk mm -hmm. about sustainability and 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 that kind of thing and bake that into the brand so that when we were all long and long gone and we're now no all no longer working with the company, including the CMO, including the CEO. Um, that that um, that structure was so deeply ingrained with who they were, they couldn't change. Now they are. Now that's who they are. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, what I was inspired by that was taking not only a bolt-on element, but an operational element of the company and, and leveraging. They literally, on their backs, scaled organic chicken farming in the United States because they needed more chicken than the current system could be. So they allowed that system to scale because they made that choice. Um, those are the kind of systemic changes that companies can do when they make the right choice. And for them, it was the right business choice. It drove sales. Um, and so those are the, that, that's what really gets me excited is when you see right. operational elements work in to drive systemic change. Um, and so that's what we're trying to do with Bruno. Exactly. I love it. And that's because that's, that's, I love that about your mindset, like go for scale. Scale is how you, you make the, the big difference. Um, so yeah, it needs, it needs to all be a continual feedback loop of your, yes. you're doing good that helps you move forward faster or further, uh, which helps you do more good. Um, so exactly. I love that. Um, and what, what are you, um, what does Krunam have uh, coming up now? What What are you most excited about? What's What's in the in the future for for the business? 
I think the most exciting element is, you know, our classifier works right now with images and video. And so in the near term, we're, um, we're in early stages and, and should be in beta relatively soon of a live streaming product, which okay. is something, wow. and, and we focus on that for uh, a unique reason because it's not because the, there's a huge demand for it. In fact, if you think about a lot of live streaming platforms, they are actually, they tout that they're end-to-end -end encrypted, um, which we can't operate in that, uh, that setting. But the argument of why we're not policing it is because A, um, our users don't want it, and B, um, there's no technology to do it. So we wanted to knock down that, um, knock down that argument that there's no technology to do it. Then you're making, you know, instead of making an easy choice, we want them to, we want we want that industry to make a little harder choice. The nice thing is when we have we've had early conversations in that industry is that they're like, yeah, I think we need this, you know, we because they recognize the existential threat to uh, their trust equation with their users if they are a conduit for illegal content. And so, yeah. um, you know, but you know, then we're you know dealing with the very sticky. Um, conflict of two goods of privacy and security. Mm. And, um, you know, it, it takes me back to, of all things, the French Revolution, where it was egalite, liberté, and then fraternité, brotherhood. Um, we probably would have a more gender-inclusive approach now, but um, we, need to, we need to find a balance between privacy and security. Yeah. Um, and CSAM is the ultimate edge case, right? Yes. Like, anybody who cares about... Um, uh, privacy online when they see see Sam in my title like ugh he's going to beat me over the head with um, children which I get um, but I, I'm hoping we can have um, and more people have a really nuanced view of the balance between mm. uh, privacy and uh, security um, because if we don't have that the only people that are going to be really thriving online and in a new digitally organized world are the powerful and the privileged um, and those that can afford to be private. Mm. There, there's going to be billions of people in the world that are going to have to be on ad supported platforms because just the economics of it, yeah. um, they're going to have to be on more, um, uh, less privacy. Is privacy really something that we only want for the, the, the well-off and the privileged? Mm. Um, and are those the people? And then if do you really want to, allow people to pay their way into hiding their um, nefarious and, and criminal activities, because then you're going to have, uh, let's raise the barriers to make it, let's not make it easier for people to commit crime. Let's raise the barriers. If, if you're going to go and create your own end-to-end -end encrypted chat, chat, bot, uh, chat system and do that, only a few enterprises are going to be able to do that. And so, um, Let's knock, let's 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 find a balance. We're at the early stages of that conversation of finding the balance. I'm nervous that it, uh, you know some you know maybe the Nordic countries go full privacy, mm, that somebody yeah. else is going to go full full surveillance. Yep. Both are wrong. I think yep. both are wrong, and we need to find that balance. And um, as somebody who's been who helped you know was a small part in creating the surveillance capitalism that we have today. Mm -hmm. And then really kind of changed their views about privacy, and now is back on the side of, ooh, full end-to-end -end encryption is pretty scary. Wow. Um, uh, hopefully, we can help stitch this together and, and make good choices versus um, baby in the bathwater choices, which will damage people either way because um, we have competing goods. Exactly, exactly right, man. That is that is great. Um, and what what do you think it'll it'll take, well, I guess asking, asking the big questions now, what do you think it'll take for us to come to, to the, to a good middle ground? Uh, I think it's going to, it's going to take incremental wins. And so demonstrating how incre incrementalism is the only way this is going to long-term work. I mean, we're going to show, have to show incremental wins and go, okay, that made sense or that overstepped because we'll, we'll have that situation too. Um, but, I think part of it is it's going to be critical for us as technologists to hire people with humanities degrees yeah. and wrestle control of 
and not complete control, but wrestle some control of technology from engineers. Because mm. engineers have a, are trained to do one thing, and that's, how do I get it done? How do I do it? Um, we need to be start built into our product development pipeline. Why am I doing it? And what are the impacts of, of doing that? Um, I think too often, you know, the, the, the motto of, uh, of Silicon Valley 10 years ago was uh, move fast and break things. Yeah. Well, we moved too fast and we broke too many things. Um, and so now I, it's not that I want to move slow. It's not that I want to uh, not uh, uh, revolutionize how we do technology, but we need to do it in a way that isn't, isn't damaging to people. Business models, I'm fine. Shatter a business model. Go for it. But if you're damaging people, that's a very different thing. Um, and I think it took us years to realize that that's actually what we were leading to because we just didn't know. Um, we just didn't know that that was what was happening. I don't really blame anybody uh, for that. But um, now that we do know, we have a moral imperative to to start thinking about that and adding uh, not only legal frameworks, but ethical frameworks into product design. Um, and uh, if there's one thing the world is not really good at right now is ethics. We're really good at lawyers, but we're not as good at ethics. <laughs> it's true. It's true, man. That is that is a great that is a great call out. Um, and yeah, I think I think um, good. It's a good good point for us to um, end the end the show end the conversation. I think it's it. And what I mean by that is like it's a good point for for people to reflect, I think, yes. about, about how we can help um, create these, these incremental changes that will take us where to, to a balanced approach where we, where we should be. Um, yeah, yeah, between, you know, security and privacy, um, it's going to be a really interesting conversation, um, probably, like, probably over the next decade. Oh, um, absolutely, absolutely. You know, technology typically... Uh, like it takes 30 years for society to adapt. Mm. And if you look at the internet, it was 10 years of adoption, 10 years of rapid growth. And I think we're in 10 years of refinement and uh, reckoning, reckoning on one level, but really refinement. And uh, that's an exciting, uh, but probably the hardest, as hard as it was to popularize the internet and then grow it, it's going to be harder to refine it. And so yes. uh, um, I'm glad that, People like you are thinking about it and, and your listeners are thinking about it because that's the only way we're going to be able to do it is, is with reason, uh, reasoned conversation and empathy between different points of view. And, um, you know, I want to be one of those voices, but not the only voice. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Love your approach and love your work, man. Um, thank you thank so you. much for coming on the show. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Uh, I love the, the way you're going about it and the focus uh, of of the, the focused application of AI to to make the world a better place. Thank you so much for for sharing that with us, sharing your journey. Uh, it's been incredible. Well, thank you. This has been a really fun conversation. Um, I, just so everyone knows, if if you are listening and interested in connecting, I'm open on LinkedIn, Chris Wexler. I'm just out there, Chris Wexler, Krunam. Uh, you can follow us on LinkedIn. Tends to be where we do more of our work right now because we are a B two B company. Yeah. But um, that, otherwise, just uh, talk to your public, uh, your 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 public officials about um, protecting kids online. Um, you know, we, we are going to have to uh, re resolve this, and we need to start people thinking all over the globe because we're going to have great thinking from everywhere to do that right. Um, and so, I'm excited about the future. Um, I'm I'm sleep. I'm 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 trying to rest up because it's going to be a sprint. <laughs> Exactly, 100%, but I love that, definitely. Um, connect with Chris, uh, check him out on LinkedIn, same with Krunam. Speak to your public officials about how we can um, help this initiative and move it forward. Um, it'll be a better place for everyone to live. Chris, mate, thank you so much again. That was absolutely thank brilliant. Thank you, you so much. It was a fun conversation, thank you. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as datafuturology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast 
to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you liked this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.